Well, I said last week was the last one in the Disciple series, but I found another one. I got another, another lesson for it. So we'll take a look tonight at another topic in our Disciple Be One, Make One series. So if you have your Bible with you, I'd encourage you to find Ephesians in chapter number 5. Ephesians in chapter 5 tonight. Let's review, as we do every week on the front page of the notes, let's, let's do a review of our scripture that is the foundation for discipleship and that are making disciples principles. Matthew 28, verses 18 through verse number 20. Let's read it out loud. Ready? Now, let's do it with as much enthusiasm as you can find from deep within you on a Wednesday workday night. Ready to go, ready to go. Even if you stood outside at the bridge all day, you stayed outside at the bridge all day today. Half of the day, I saw you on Monday. On, what day was it? Monday. I waved. Did you see me wave? I saw someone wave. It was me. It was me. So even if you've been out there, even if you stood outside at on the bridge half the day, find that strength within you. And did you hear my dad lift up his voice in prayer tonight? That kind of energy. Let's let's just try to have. A smidgen of that as we read this verse. Are you ready? All right, we'll try it. Here we go. Ready? Matthew 28, 18. Ready? Begin. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach. What does that mean? Make disciples. All right. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. You're trailing out. You're trailing out now. Let's try it. Let's finish strong. Ready? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That was great. So, our making disciples principles. Disciples are. People who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. This is the journey of the Christian life. And we should all be engaged in both growing in our walk with God and following Jesus, but helping others as they grow. And we've learned in this study that discipleship isn't so much a class, although we do offer discipleship classes. But discipleship classes are really often just an on-ramp to the life of discipleship. It certainly it isn't the totality of it. So you, whether in some way, in some shape in your life as a Christian, you should be helping someone else follow Jesus as you follow Jesus. So that's what disciples are. They are people who make disciples, who make disciples, who then make disciples, etc. Number two, Jesus gave the process and the pattern for making disciples. The process has never changed. It's never changed from the founding of the church. It's never changed from Matthew 28. It is to go, we give the gospel into all the world, and then we baptize believers, and then we teach them all of the things that Jesus taught us. So that's the process. But the pattern sometimes looks different in different circumstances, in given different situations. Sometimes discipleship happens in small groups. Sometimes it happens in the broader context of the church gathering. Sometimes it happens in one-on-one -on -one conversations. It's not limited to one form, even though the process is always the same. And then I said this third principle, which is the most important one, I think. 
for, for us, Mount Greylock Baptist Church. And that is discipleship involves who? Yeah, all of us. The whole church is supposed to be in some way connected to discipleship. And so, what have we seen? How to do it? Well, we saw you've got to have compassion. You've got to be hospitable. You've got to show up for the assembly. You've got to get involved in mentoring. You've got to be faithful. You should use your gifts. Last week, we looked at how important it is to follow the leadership that God has established. Well, this week, I want to talk about a new topic, and that is number nine on the inside of your notes tonight. Make disciples nine. Maintain your testimony. Maintain your testimony. Now, let's look at one verse. We're going to look at 14 verses in Ephesians chapter 5, but I want to start our discussion time with just one verse, okay? And that is Ephesians 5 and verse number 8. Ephesians 5 and verse number 8. For ye were sometimes darkness. Now, when he says sometimes, uh, this is an older English way of saying there was not like sometimes you are, sometimes you're not. The idea is there was a time. There was a time in your life. At one point in your life, you were darkness. But now are ye light in the Lord. This is what you were. This is what you are. You were in darkness. Now you are in light. So now he says, walk as children of light. Now, when we talk about testimony, that is a testimony right there. That's a testimony of the Ephesians church. The, the church in Ephesus would have said, the people there would have said, you know what? There was a time in my life that I walked in darkness. But then I came to Jesus, and now I'm a child of light. It's a Jesus transformation story. When we talk about a testimony, it is the Jesus transformation story. It is the way you explain the evidence of the, the, there's a word missing there, it should be the way you explain the outer evidence of the inner transformation that the Holy Spirit brings in our lives. That's your testimony. It's simply you telling someone or you demonstrating with your life, you demonstrating with your life and with your words what Jesus has done in your life. So I'd like you to do this. In the discussion section, I'll give you 90 seconds to do this. In just one sentence, this will be kind of hard to reduce it to one sentence. But in just one sentence, describe the transformation in your life after becoming a Christian. And you can't say, I was darkness and now I am light. Okay, That would be true, but that would be cheating tonight. So I just want you to do that. We'll just be quiet for a minute. I will... Close my lips, and you can just write in one sentence, describe the transformation in your life after becoming, and I want to challenge you, even if you got saved as a child, you should be able to write something about this. One sentence, put your testimony. Try to personalize it if you can, but one sentence. Now I'm quiet. Got a minute left.
final thoughts? 20 seconds left? I'm not actually counting the seconds. I'm just guessing. It must be 20 seconds. All right. As we get ready to share these, I want to thank everybody for these last few weeks that has participated in the discussions because I've, I have really enjoyed your perspective in this, in this, uh, this series. So thank you for participating and let's hear this. So let me ask you this. In one sentence, describe the transformation in your life after becoming a Christian. What did you write down? Share it with the, share it with the group. Who's got something written down that they would read to us right now? Somebody who wants to go first? Get the ball rolling. Frank, you go first. Oh, can't, can't do it then. I was once lost, but now I am found. I was once lost, but now I am found. Great. That's awesome. Somebody, what did you write? Did you write down? Go ahead, Lane. I put, uh, no longer living for self, but striving to selflessly live for Christ, as he did for me. Oh, it's no longer living for self, but striving to selflessly live for Christ, as he did for me. That's great. Somebody else, what did you write? Yes, Patrick. So, I no longer wanted to continue in my sin. You no longer wanted to continue in your sin. Yeah, that's a change, right? Somebody else. How would you, what did you write, Carla? I put that. Good and loud, because these air conditioners are pretty loud. No, I put that ever since I was born by Jesus, I was given a sense of purpose. Oh, great. Given a sense of purpose. I would put for myself that I came to know Christ as a very, very young child. And I would say for me was I, I, di I didn't know that I found this at the time, but I found certainty. And that's, you know, I, I just think probably knowing my personality, what I would have been without Christ, it's very fearful and full of doubts, but to... As a child, I'm thankful to have found certainty and just known that my life could be based on Jesus and his word all throughout. And so that's, that's what I would put. Somebody else, what did you write? What did you write? I saw more people writing, so go ahead. Don't be, don't be shy. Share it. Who else got something that they, they wrote? Yeah, Jim. I'm like Frank. I didn't write it down. That's such a rebellious class in here. I'll tell you yeah, what, yeah. this was it? Wasn't no, go ahead. Huh? It was us old people like that. Oh yeah. <laughs> but go ahead. What did you? What is it? So, uh, I was in the service. And I was invited into a, a missionary office and showed me through the scriptures how I was lost and needed to know Christ. All right. Amen. Praise the Lord. Dad, you said you had one word. Yeah. Freedom. Freedom. It's freedom. From, and you could plug in after that so many other things. Freedom from numerous things. Freedom. Liberty. Amen. Yes. That was mine. Trina, you said. I think he looked on my Because he wasn't writing either. He cheated from you. A feeling of belonging. Oh. Found a sense of belonging. Amen. Yes. Everyone here knows the word, and every one of us has changed. 
Yeah. There's a lot of things we can say. Right. Right. So let me do this. Let's do the second discussion question. What was the biggest change? This will be hard probably for some of us that became Christians very young. But what was the biggest change that other people noticed in your life after you became a Christian? Write that down. What would you say? Can you give me one, two things? What was the biggest thing that other people noticed? Whether they said it in a positive way or whether they said it in a negative way. What would you say was the biggest thing that other people noticed in your life? We're talking about testimony, right? The outward, outward example of who we say we are in Christ. So one of the biggest changes others noticed in your life after becoming a Christian. Okay, who finished already? Bill, you wrote something down. Did you have something? Yeah. Would you mind sharing it? I don't know what other challenges. Off the deep end. Off the deep end. Oh, okay. Well, they noticed a change. That's for sure. Yeah, sometimes that's what happens. Who else would you write? Yeah? I just put uh, priorities. Priorities? So new, they noticed that you didn't have the same goals or priorities in your life. Yeah? New, new happiness and joy. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Somebody else, yep. Yeah. Right. Because you changed some of your behaviors and your lifestyle. So they noticed that. They noticed that you live differently. Yeah. Somebody else. What? Yes, Carla. I would say Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's interesting too. Like even in the scriptures, there's a lot of uh, scriptures about that, about the changing your character in Christ. Like Paul said, I think it was to the Thessalonians, uh, uh, "Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him work." It, it talks about changes like that. So great. Somebody else. What did? What did? Uh, yes. <laughs> this is when you were 10 years old. That's something. So that's, that's funny. Somebody else, when you became a Christian, what did others notice? Any, anybody? Anything else to share there? 
Okay, great. I want to shift a little bit with this next question. Let's look at the scripture again. It's on the screen, on the handout. You were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. How could Ephesians 5.8 serve as a warning against hypocrisy? I want to shift a little bit now. How could this passage, how could this passage serve as a warning against hypocrisy? I'll give you a minute to think about that for a minute. Give everybody a chance to think for a minute and then... I will call on you first. Okay, what were you going to say? Yeah? Sure. Yeah, we're going to see that in a minute, too. Somebody else, something on that. How can this passage serve as a warning against hypocrisy? Any thoughts? Yep. Okay. Trying to get, I'm trying to, like, those are true. I'm trying to focus in on that, that idea that hypocrisy has let a lot of people down in the church. Right? A lot of people have been let down by hypocrisy. And how does this passage really warn us about that? Yeah. I didn't think of that, but I think that's absolutely right. There was a time when you were in darkness, so you should remember that you should be humble, right? I like that. I think that's a really good application. That would protect us from hypocrisy to realize I'm not better than anybody. I'm just, I've been, I've been changed. So that's good. Any other thoughts on how this, this passage can serve as a warning against hypocrisy? People are watching you. Yeah, people are watching you and they know what you have claimed to be. You can claim it with your mouth. I'm a Christian now. I'm a Christian. But people will watch your walk. They won't just listen to your talk. They'll watch your walk. And so he says, you'd better be careful that if you, you know, you are people who are now children of light, so you need to maintain your testimony. You need to have some spiritual integrity. Now, for sake of time, We'll just move through that next discussion. How would you define or describe spiritual integrity? The idea of integrity is being true to what you say, being true to who you claim to be. And in the Christian life, it's about being true to who you are in Christ and not just saying it. I, can, I, can, I grew up in church. I can tell you all kinds of people, some of them talked the loudest only to reveal years later that their life lacked spiritual integrity. They said, they talked about the walk in the light, but then you found out that there was no walk in the light. And there are, in many cases, their children are the ones who saw that. Their children went the wrong way because they didn't see any real spiritual integrity. I had a young person tell me not that long ago, well, they're not a young person anymore, they were in the youth group that I led here years ago, they said that for a while they just assumed, based on their parents, they just assumed that all 
all Christians were hypocrites. But then they were thankful to have seen some genuine Christians over the years. So our testimony, was it D.L. Moody who said, your life is the only Bible some people will read? It might have been Moody. Your life is the only Bible some people will ever read. So spiritual integrity in maintaining your testimony is very, very important. And sometimes, I think in the age in which we live, we talk a lot about grace, which I don't think you can talk too much about grace. But we need to be careful how we talk about grace. Paul said, should we continue in sin so that grace abounds? No, of course not. Grace, we we relish in and we delight in the grace of God, but it should motivate us to want to live in holiness. And people watch. And so spiritual integrity is really important. So I want to give you, in the 10 minutes we have left, I want to give you the four principles, the four statements from Ephesians 5 that will help us maintain a testimony of integrity. And the first thing I want you to do is read all 14 verses with me and underline, highlight, mark, circle things that stand out to you. I'll read it a little bit slowly and deliberately. Ephesians 5, 1 through 14. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. If I were underlining or circling, I'd do followers and dear children. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Do you notice how he begins with the gospel? He's begun talking about the, the love of Christ. He's begun by talking about, speaking about the sacrifice of Christ for us. This is always Paul's method. It's always to begin with what God has done for us, and then he'll start directing it toward our life now. You'll, you'll see that formula over and over again. It's gospel-centered. It starts with what Jesus has done before it moves into our lives. So he says, that Jesus has given himself an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Now, verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame 
even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. I want you to notice, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, Be followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us. Your testimony should be motivated by, well, what do you think the blank is? Looking at the verse, your testimony should be motivated by what? Love. Your testimony should be motivated by love. Now, in the testimony, there's some important words here. He says, be therefore followers, be followers of God. Now, that word followers can also and is often translated imitators. It, It literally means not just to follow like, oh, they're going that way, I will go that way too. But it literally means to follow by imitation, to do the same things. How many of you had little siblings in your life? Okay. How many of you remember the game copycat? Do you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, um, stop copying what I say, stop copying what I say, okay? You know what what I'm, the idea, that's the annoying form of imitation, but there's a more, there's a more um, endearing form of imitation, and that is in verse, the end of the verse. So if we are imitators of God, we do it how? What way do we imitate? The same way that who would imitate? Children, Children imitate who? Their parents. The same way that uh, a little boy wants to go to work with their dad, or wants to do the things that their dad does, or a little girl would imitate their mother. As dear, as beloved children, we are supposed to be followers of God. And so all of the things that he's going to talk about, about our lifestyle, it's not out of a sense of duty or drudgery, or, oh, now I'm a Christian, I have to do all... No, it's the delight of our lives to say, wow, Now I have a relationship with God. He is my father, and I can imitate him. Isn't that's amazing that we even have the ability to imitate him? And we know from the past that's by the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus, but we literally follow God. It should be motivated by love. The greatest love is the love of the gospel. Verse 2: walk in love. As Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. There's a beauty in that obedience. There's a beauty in that sacrifice. That's, That's the kind of love that we're talking about. So, but don't get away from that. A lot of Christians that they 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 lose that love. Do you remember what the the church in that was uh uh I didn't have this in my notes, but it was Ephesus that was challenged in the book of Revelation, right? You do all these great things, you do all these great things, and Jesus says to the the angel of the church at Ephesus, he says, but I have one thing against you. You left your first love. So it's interesting that the church, Paul Paul says, you need to walk in love, 
This was a doing church. This was an active church. This was a serving church. But they, were a Mar- they became a Martha church and not a Mary church, if you remember the story of Martha and Mary. They did all these things for God, but they lost their love for Jesus. The gospel, that's why, that's why I, I try, and I don't always get it right, but I always try in my preaching, and you'll notice this on Sunday mornings, is whatever the passage is, there's always a connection to the gospel. There should be. Because the gospel is the whole foundation of the Christian life. The, the Christ's, it's what it's all about. Now from that, from the truths of the gospel and the love of the gospel flows a life of obedience. That, that brings us now to an important thing. A lot of people will say, hey man, okay, but I don't want to take, you know, you, you're too focused on doctrine and holiness and all of that. What we really need in the church is love. Well, yeah. Yes. Look what he says next, though. He's like, you need to walk in love. In verse number three, but you better not be involved in fornication or uncleanness or covetousness or filthiness or foolish talking or jesting. You see what, you see what he, he goes right from this foundation of love and he says, because of that love, you ought to behave yourself. You ought to behave yourself. Like Christians, Christians in, in the West, in the, in the 21st century, we need a little wake-up call that we are supposed to behave like beloved children of God. And so number two, number two, what you see in those verses three through seven, your testimony should not only be motivated by love, but your testimony should be marked by two words now, ready? By a distinct lifestyle. As a Christian, your testimony should be marked not just motivated by love, but marked by a distinct lifestyle. There are non-negotiables of Christianity. There are things that just... Okay, are there gray areas in the Christian life? Not a trick question. Are there gray areas in the Christian life? Yes. Are there areas where Christians disagree and there's Christian liberty and we have to you know, yield and all that? Yes. And like... I don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about those things. You know why? Because there are so there are there is a pretty clean list of things that are crystal clear that the Christian should not be involved in. And if we would just focus on that, and we would just get that settled, I think a lot of the gray areas would start to solve themselves. Because we would look at this and we would say, man, I just realized that sexual immorality, fornication, it just can't have any part in my life. Well, what about this gray area over here? Well, I'm not really sure about that, but, but I'm going to make sure that I, I, I stay. If that's going to lead me into fornication, I'm going to avoid it. See what I'm saying? Like, if we just focus on what does the Bible actually say? It says that sexual sins, just Christians, it just is not part of the Christian lifestyle. Crystal clear. There's no question about it. It shouldn't be. So that rules out sex before marriage, it rules out pornography, it rules out homosexuality, it rules out a whole list of sins that are outside the bounds of obedient Christian living. But not only that, uncleanness, covetousness has no part in the Christian life whatsoever. It shouldn't even be named among you. It's unbecoming. It's unbecoming of a saint. But not just participating in these kinds of things, 
But in verse number four, it's not just that we shouldn't participate in these kinds of things, but we shouldn't what? Look at verse four. It's not only that we don't participate in these things, but as Christians we don't. Huh? Help me out. We don't talk about them. We don't talk about them, and we don't joke about them. So if, if a, just because, oh, well, this, this Christian person, you know, they told this joke, or, or we were watching this, this show together, and it was all about, like sexual jokes and all that kind of stuff. No, that's out of bounds for the Christian. That's just out of bounds. Your testament should be marked by a distinct lifestyle. It's different than how the world behaves. Um, these are not, these are not, look at what it says in verse number four too, that these things are not convenient. These things are not convenient. They're not fitting. They're not helpful. But instead of that, we should be focused on being thankful. I think what he's saying here is, if that's part of your lifestyle, just replace it with thankfulness. If you talk about dirty things and you talk about foolish things, you talk about sinful things, just replace that by being a thankful person, speaking thanks. So your testimony should be marked by a distinct lifestyle. Verse number six, or no, verse number five, this is important. Look at the motivation here. For this ye know, you, you know this, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Now you might say, oh no, well what if I slip up and what if I do one of these things? What if I sin in one of these ways? Does that mean that I have no inheritance? Does that mean that I'm going to encounter the wrath of God? No, look at the context. What he's saying is, this is the way that what children behave? Children of who? Of what? This is the way that children of wrath or children of disobedience behave. Verse number seven, he says, if this is the behavior of lost people, then you shouldn't do what? It doesn't say you shouldn't be one, right? Because it's impossible for you to be, if you're a Christian, it's impossible for you to be a child of disobedience. You're a child of light. It's impossible to be a child of, but you shouldn't do what? Don't join in with them. Don't behave the way that the unbelievers behave. In fact, he, said, he clarifies it even more. Don't be a partaker with them. You are not one of them, so don't behave like one of them. Verse number eight, because, this is the verse we started with, there was a time when you were one of them, but now you're not one of them. So don't walk according to the way you used to be. Walk according to the way you are now in Christ. It's a distinct lifestyle. All right, for sake of time, number three. I want you to see this in verses eight through nine. Verse eight, we saw verse eight, now look at verse nine. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Number three, your testimony should be maintained by your life in the Spirit. Our testimonies are maintained by our life in the Spirit. We cannot live the Christian life in our own power and our own strength. We need dependency on the Holy Spirit to accomplish this for us. So if you're here and you're like, ah, man, you know what? I just feel guilty about this because 
my life, my, I know I'm a child of light, I've received Christ, but I'm living like I used to live. I'm living like the world lives. It's not a distinct lifestyle. What's the answer? It's to get back closer to the Spirit, to listen to the Spirit's voice, to get into the Word. The Spirit will speak to you through the Word. And we trust His empowering to change, change us. Ugh change us, and give us that distinct lifestyle. But our testimony should be maintained by our life in the Spirit. And then number four, your testimony should be measured by the truth of God's Word. Your testimony should be measured by the truth of God's Word. And where do I get that measuring from? Where am I, where am I seeing that? Well, verse number 10 Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. That's our responsibility. Responsibility is to prove that what we do is pleasing to the Lord. So we take our life, we take our walk, we take our behaviors, we take our entertainment, we take all of these things and we say, Lord, I want to look from the word. Can I prove that this is acceptable to you? And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. We step into the light of God's word. We step into the light of truth. And that... Uh, the idea of manifesting and reproving, that word reprove can, actually, can also mean to expose. So you don't speak of those things, but rather you reprove them. You put them out in the open. You say, no, this is wrong. You expose it to the word of God. Read 1 John. It talks a lot about walking in the light. What does the light do? The light exposes. The light makes manifest. It makes plain to see. So think about your testimony. Do you have integrity? Would it be okay? Would it be okay for your walk this week to be exposed in the light for all to see? Would your scrolling habits, would it be okay to just expose them to the light? Would your television choices, would your conversations, your thought life, this is spiritual integrity. None of us are perfect. It's always a struggle against sin. But he says, hey, if you're a child of light, you need to walk in the light. Why? Ultimately, because of the love of the Lord Jesus, what he's done for us. But secondarily, for the testimony that we live before other disciples, the impact and the influence we have and the damage that hypocritical Christian lives can do to others. So it's important theme of discipleship, that we do it with integrity, that we do it with an honest testimony before God. Paul said, I remember an unfeigned faith that is in you, Timothy. It was in your grandmother. It was in your mother. Unfeigned means not pretend, not make believe, but genuine, real, and sincere. All right, let's close. I'm trying to end a little sooner so we have more prayer time. I did a little bit better tonight, but uh, we'll try to improve a little more next week too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we have your word, and I thank you for your empowering to live these distinct lives and these testimonies for your glory and from love for you, 
and as a light to the world around us. Please help us to grow together in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, or if you have placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know, and we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You could also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you, and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.